1: Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, this is Pia Barancini and welcome to Everything is the Best, the podcast where I get vulnerable and make others do it with me. The goal here is to deep dive into interesting people's journeys, finding common denominators, and hopefully making you feel not so alone. So let's laugh, let's cry, and let's get inspired to live our best lives. Hello my darlings, welcome back to another episode. This week, we have Sarah Yanbemrung, who is the wife of Chris Yanbemrung, and they are the owners of arguably one of the best Thai restaurants ever, Night Market. I wanted to share Sarah's story for multiple reasons, but the main one being that she helped propel the restaurants into what they are today. Second, because her and Chris's love story could be made into your next favorite rom-com. They met at the iconic Corner Bistro in New York, where he literally fought for her honor. Fast forward nine months later, she moved to LA into the house where Chris was living with his parents. She went from being a fashion writer to helping Chris and his family grow their businesses into what they are today. Night Market now has three locations in LA and they have an amazing cookbook and have been featured in the LA Times multiple times on Food 52, Goop, Esquire, Thrillist, Eater, Bon Appetit, Vogue, and so much more. We talk about losing our fathers, taking big chances, leaving your family to start a new one, Anthony Bourdain, phony stories about the restaurant, and so much more. Sarah is a gentle, darling angel, and this episode is filled with stories of grit, love, grief, and success. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for taking time to come on the pod. Also, this is, thank God, I mean, not thank God, but like this forced break that we all are having to take like is allowing for a connection that would be impossible otherwise because you are always working
1: yeah I mean it's it's been it has been a blessing that I've been able to connect with like lots of people including my husband you know not just like (laughs) we work together we live together but now I'm actually able to cook meals with him and get to know him and like stories with him for the first time that aren't just like, oh, you won't believe like what the customer, uh, you know, table <laughs> tonight. <laughs> it's, more, it's more like, I don't know. I think I talked to him about like Sizzler the other night. And I was like, you know, I never went to buffets growing up. Like that wasn't something I did. And we talked about buffets. <laughs> like, for, <laughs> it was just like learning about each other and more like how we ate as kids. I mean, especially... I am pregnant right now. And so a lot of the conversation is about how each of us were raised. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I mean, if we were just running through restaurants the way we were before we had to shut down, it would, we wouldn't really be having those conversations, you know, just be mm-hmm. sort of, there's pregnant and she's going to have a baby and that's it. But now we're able to like get to know each other.
0: <laughs> Does he speak Thai?
1: Yeah, he's, yeah, he must, to- right? uh, his parents are from Thailand. He was born and raised here lived in Thailand during his puberty years. That's what he likes to tell people. And so he sort of like came of age in Bangkok and I'm in the process of learning Thai. Um, yeah, it's not, as somebody who's like not great with languages to begin with.
0: Um, God bless you. Tough. I know you're, I mean, how are you with your Italian? Zero, because I'm bad with language and my memory sucks and it makes me very self-conscious, but it's definitely not as hard as Thai.
1: I know, and that's that's where I get tripped up is like the how timid I am. Like one of the first things I learned in French was I can understand more than I can speak because I'm timid. And that's what oh. I would tell people. Like I could sit there at a table and listen to this conversation and know that they were talking about a bottle of wine or talking about a friend or whatever it is. But when I would speak up, I would be like, bonjour. <laughs> <And> I, <laughs> yeah, totally. Self-conscious. And it's with Thai because it's like, with Thai, it's you're memorizing a new word, but then you're also memorizing the tone with it. Yep. So it's been, I mean, it's it's great that his entire family speaks Thai and they're really encouraging. And I try to like pepper it in when I talk to the cooks or when I talk to his family and things like that. But yeah, it's a tough language, but his family's going to be speaking Thai around the kid. And, you know, I don't want the kid to think like, oh, I speak one language with this family and I speak
0: mm-hmm. with
1: another. It's like, it, it has to
0: all... I'll be the same. Yeah, of course. I will go through that same conversation all the time. So I really want to like start from the beginning because I feel like Davide and I have a crazy story of like how we met and like who gave up what and to be together and how crazy it all was and everything that happened but like yours kind of takes the cake. <laughs> and I and I was so right away we, we sat together at that sweet cream dinner when you guys I remember one night we we're talking about how um you it was like one of the first nights you guys had the other restaurant and you had like a great night whatever and you were like closing down the restaurant and you didn't know where to put the trash. I was like this is so <laughs> amazing. <laughs>
1: Well, the trash story was because we, um, we basically inherited this restaurant and this is Night Market Song in Silver Lake. And the way back in the day, it was like a, like a Mexican grocer sort of situation. And then somebody went in and tried to build a restaurant and I think they ran out of money or something like that. And really rough plumbing was put in some walls. It was really bare bones, but they they blocked off the alley that allowed you to take the garbage from the back to the front. Mm. which is a very small thing that you don't realize you need like really badly in a restaurant until you don't have it. (laughs) And yeah, (laughs) we had like seven or eight garbage bags filled with, I mean like Thai leftover, like Thai junk, you know, it's dirty napkins and grease. And Chris is like, okay, I guess we have to throw it away. So we put it in the back of our car (laughs) at the same time, we're also driving one of our cooks home because she's a little bit older. And, at you know, it's like 1.30 in the morning. And we're like, we'll drive you home. You don't have to take the bus. Yeah. And so she's like with us and she's laughing at us the whole time. And we would cruise around the city and look for like construction sites that would have these big dumpsters out front. And I would get out and I would be the one to toss the bag into the dumpster. And we wouldn't do all of them at the same dumpster because, you know, we don't want to spend too much time at one site. We want it to be quick on our feet. And we had this whole, (laughs) this whole like mission impossible plan. But I was always the one to do it because Chris was like, you're you're a girl and you've gotten out of situations before by being sweet. They're going to do this like tattooed, asshole throwing garbage (laughs) in their dumpster and they're going to call the police and that for like the first three months or something like that before three months it was crazy every single night i mean it was also the period where we didn't have we didn't have a walk-in yet so it's like a big walk-in refrigerator that restaurants use and you know kim kardashian uses for her home. Like you, like you walk into it and yeah. we didn't have one yet. And so every single day, Chris and I were going and buying just enough cilantro and just enough, you know, pork butt and just enough lemongrass for that service because that's all we could store at the restaurant. Oh so my we'd God. Go through the product that night for service and then we'd start all over again the next day and just buy. So we'd like spend all day food shopping and inevitably we would catch like Dodgers traffic. <laughs> Cause like one of the spots we would go to. Oh, is of course. Park. So Dodgers games were starting and we would like call the one server who was at the restaurant waiting for us to show up and be like, Hey, post a sign that says we're opening at six instead of five today because we're <laughs> it, was like, it was, I mean, it was nuts. It was like, it was a really hectic time. I mean, also my, my dad died like right as we were opening song also. Uh-huh. So it was just like, it was a lot of, and I think that was part of the reason why I was able to throw myself into it so deeply was because it just helped me not deal with grief. You know, yeah. the the guilt of not, he died in New York and the guilt of just like not being, I mean, I was there for the funeral. I was there for his death, but it was just like, I had to come back to work. And mm-hmm. I felt like I, you know, we were just about to open this restaurant. So I really just like woke up and hit the pavement and then, yeah, just like spent all day and all night thinking about the restaurant so I wouldn't have to think about my dad.
0: Milk and Honey is a line of non-toxic, effective and safe bath body and skincare made in small batches in Austin, Texas. If you follow me on Instagram, you know that I use their products often, especially because they source ingredients that are as hyper clean as possible which means choosing organic above all else and making thoughtful, informed choices on safe, synthetic ingredients when organic isn't possible. The products are developed alongside their in-house team of estheticians, and they're tested and approved to make sure that you look and feel your best from the inside out. The company was formed and bootstrapped by Alyssa Bayer, and today Milk and Honey accounts for over six luxury spas. Alyssa not only has the client's well-being in mind; she wants her employees to be safe and healthy too. Too often, estheticians, stylists, nail therapists find their hands covered in chemicals all day, and that's where Alyssa wanted to disrupt how spa protocols and products were utilized and sourced. Thus, clean spas and clean products were born. Everything is the best. Listeners can now take. 15% 15% off your next order at milkandhoney.com with code PIA15. That's 15% off at milkandhoney.com with code PIA15. I personally recommend some of their best sellers, which includes the gel cleanser, luxe, face oil, and hydrating rose mist.
1: Hey guys, I'm Whitney Port, and this is with Wit. A lot of you may know me from reality TV, and the reality is a lot's happened since the hills. With Wit is dedicated to having real, raw, and occasionally ridiculous conversations with the people who have had a profound impact on me. Because on With Wit, very little is off limits. Subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing conversations to come. New episodes of With Wit are available every Tuesday on all platforms.
0: So take it back to where you grew up, what you were doing, because you were working in fashion. I was born in Jersey. I went to like a
1: very suburban public school situation. I think my graduating class was like 420 students or something crazy like that.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And I liked it. I had a fine time there, but I also felt like, I don't know, I just felt like another brick in the wall. You know, like I felt Mm -hmm. like I was doing what everybody else was doing. And so when... I graduated high school I essentially had I knew I wanted to do journalism and either I could go to a university and enroll in their communications program. So I think I was yeah it was Ithaca's journalism program that I got into. And it was like that was the the safe option. And then the other one that I got into was Bennington which is like this teeny tiny summer camp of a college and you wouldn't get grades. You could like smoke in your dorm. <laughs> you know, it was like,
0: and I saw that and I was like,
1: I've never lived like that before. You know, with like all of these really creative, really, you know, stimulated people that were, you know, open to possibilities. And so with yeah. that, and inevitably I ended up doing the school newspaper, but I, I really loved that I didn't continue on this like path that I knew would be safe and successful. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try this thing. That's not really comfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, like I didn't, you know, I didn't fit in at all when I first showed up and I sort of had to fake my way a little bit, but I am thankful that I sort of took it upon myself to be like, okay, here's, here's a chance for you to, you know, meet other people and, you know, cause I mean, if I went to Ithaca, I'm sure I would have had a great time, but I would have just been around the same people.
0: I That was me going to USC or moving to New York and going to Parsons. It's like, I didn't really get like, it was kind of like, didn't fit in right away. And then I was just like, you know, fuck it. Like I would have a great time at SC, but like, do I want that life and future for myself or do I want to take a bunch of chances and like see where else I could go?
1: Same thing hard. I mean, like I had to prove myself because a lot of the kids that showed up, like they had these amazing portfolios. They knew early on that they wanted to be artists and they wanted to, you know, design architecture and things like that. And they showed up and I was like, I'm here to figure that out now.
0: Mm-hmm. And then, Which is also so, okay. Cause it's crazy to know what you want to do at 18.
1: No, I mean, that's bananas. Right. And you're going to spend however much a year to, to do that. It's and still like, paying off college. It's a, it's such a racket, but we when I graduated, I moved to New York. I was living in Brooklyn and I had like another sort of moment where I was like, okay, I can either do the really safe thing or I can do the more sort of challenging, more, you know, creative thing. And the safe thing was that I got this like really sweet gig editing and it was a three year contract with ben- like health benefits. Gave me a metro card every month, and it was just like all of my art school friends laughed at me when I told them about it. They're like, "Oh, Sarah's so corporate. You know, she's going to be wearing <laughs> boots and like pearls and like." All that. <laughs> and then the other one was an intern. Like I wasn't. I didn't have a like a really high role. I was an intern at AOL's style page, and I was you know doing intern stuff, like grabbing coffee and making photocopies and answering phones and things like that. And I took that job because I just saw it as not very glamorous work, but I would be in the company of who I wanted to be around. Like I wanted to be around like creative fashion, design, beauty. My parents growing up, they were, they were both in retail so I always had an appreciation for clothes and style.com and things like that were what I would do in my free time. So oh my God, style.com was everything. Well, I like my favorite thing to do when I was like, cause like in middle school, I wasn't middle school and high school. I was definitely not like in, uh, I was not the body type to be wearing what was most trendy <laughs> and so I would always like admire it from afar and I would like touch it in weird ways like I would I would go to Abercrombie with my friends and they would all be buying like super low-rise jeans with the whiskers on it or the whiskey yeah, I
0: couldn't wear that either
1: and I'd be like I'm gonna go buy that men's rugby shirt and like that's yeah. how I would, like, get a piece. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just always I always liked I always liked looking at you know, fashion and shoes and accessories and things like that. And so when I was working at AOL, I was able to like, look at that all day, which was really, really cool. And I don't know. I I think I, I was able to jump around or like jump up on the, you know, get promoted and, you know, have bigger responsibilities and things like that because I was somebody who put my head down and did the work. Yeah. You know, even though I was doing stuff like buying coffee for editors and making up fashion schedules and things like that, I was like, I'm going to do this the best I can because I don't know. I would take it so personally if I did it wrong. And it's like, I, I wish there's a part of me that wishes I could separate myself from work in that way where like I could go home at the end of the night and not care that I fucked up on something. But I couldn't, you know, like I was just like... I What would sign st- are you? Are you a Virgo? No, I'm a Taurus. But it was just like, it was... Yeah, it was just like all of me was put into that. And yeah, I, I loved working there. But when I met Chris in New York, I was at Huffington Post at the time because AOL and Huffington Post had merged. And I... Met him um, at a place called Corner Bistro. In, in New York. It's such a
0: great meeting story. Like, best burger. By the way, when Beatrice was open, I used to get fucked up and then by myself go to Corner Bistro and like shovel a burger and then well, go
1: back and keep partying. I did, I did like a reverse thing with my girlfriends where I would show up there after work and we would get burgers and fries and beers and then we'd cruise over to the Jane. Mm -hmm. And we made $14 stellas and dance on tables. But (laughs) when I tell people that we met at Corner Bistro, it's funny because people are like, oh, did you both work there?
0: (laughs) 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 Do you know the sort of person who works at Corner Bistro? they are all 78 years old.
1: (laughs) 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 Okay. But yeah, it was, I mean, it was just as... You know, like Match.com and online dating was starting to take off. And we, um, we met because Chris had sent over a plate of French fries to me and my girlfriends, me and my two girlfriends while we were at the bar. And this was after we had teased him because him and his friend arrived and ordered martinis it's just like it's not the sort of place where you go and order a martini. It's like yeah, you just no. beer from the tap and you know, maybe take a shot of whiskey. But like you don't, you yeah, don't order. No. Martini. And so we were slightly embarrassed. We're like, oh man, those martini assholes <laughs> 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 are interested in us. But, you know, I talked to him a little bit. We flirted, super innocent. And then later on in the evening, my girlfriend who worked for Matt Cosmetics at the time, invited these really, really good looking male models to join us. And like all of my girlfriends and I, we were just like all googly eyed and we're like, okay, I get that one. You get that one. <laughs> Postman. And Chris noticed right away and drunkenly stepped up to these guys and told them to lay off, which like we did not see coming at all whatsoever. And I saw blood, like they got in a fight. <laughs> <at Corner laughs> Beach, like, so, it's just, it's, it's so funny to look back on now. That, what like, a dramatic first meeting. It was, I mean, I mean, he made an impression and I guess I did too, because he, my girlfriend took him to the bathroom and cleaned him up and he asked for my phone number. And I had left at that point because, you know, I'm a, you know, very prude girl from New Jersey. <laughs> I was like, I don't want nothing to do with this violence. Um, and yeah, the next day I got a really, really sleazy text message from him. My girlfriend gave him my number <laughs> and it was along the lines of, I could really use a nurse right now. Oh my God. <laughs> but I felt really bad for him. So I agreed to meet him at a very un date spot. Mm -hmm. At a very not date time. And I wore like baggy jeans. I think I wore like my dad's leather jacket. I was like, I'm not giving him any sort of clue that I'm interested. And yeah, he, uh, he asked if I was hungry and we, he suggested Cafe Mogador. Best Uh, restaurant. Best restaurant. And one of the few places my entire family could agree to eat at. And we had this like three hour dinner where we just like got to know each other. And then we, I mean, we did distance dating, I guess you can call it for nine months because he didn't live in New York. He lived in LA and that's how we got to know each other was because yeah. we were on the phone so much. And I mean, it was really, we didn't realize it at the time, but then when we did see each other, it was, you know, we like made the most of those weekends. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And then I moved out to LA nine months after we had met and I continued working for Huffington Post for a little bit. And then I was scooped up by Refinery29 and was an editor's assistant there. Yeah. And I did that for a couple of years it all sort of blends together when you move to LA (laughs) because there's no seasons. (laughs) I don't know if I spent five years at refinery 29 or five months. It just like, it's, it's crazy because July feels like December sometimes. Mm -hmm. That's how I got to LA.
0: And And what was the moment where you guys decided to, you know, was it like who was going to move where or he had already was he already taking over the restaurant?
1: He had already taken
0: over the restaurant at that point.
1: So his parents had Talisai on the Sunset Strip and he was running that for maybe like a year or two. And then he had opened Night Market right next door shortly before I moved out. So it was definitely like his roots. His roots were in L.A., yeah
0: god I've eaten at both those restaurants so many times like (laughs) so much beer so much spice
1: yeah it's uh it's funny to talk to people who grew up in LA and know
0: like it was like impossible to get in there there was always a way like it's I thought when I met you guys I was like oh this is great I can get (laughs) in I hope they like me and I can get into the restaurant because it really was I would drive by and just like god damn it there's a line outside like
1: yeah. It's crazy. Cause when I first moved out here, it was dead. Like it, you know, his parents were concerned. They were like, Oh man, did, did we, you know, did we all make the right decision with this, you know, this night market thing? Because it would be like five or six customers a night at night market Yeah, is his baby. And then his parents' restaurant, which was right next door would have, you know, like seven or eight times as many people. And that was what was actually making money for us. Yeah. It was in the beginning. It was crickets. But yeah, I think, you know, just to like jump back really quickly to that question about making the move to LA, it was, I don't know, I felt such a strong connection to him, but I also felt such a pull to do something radical, you know, to get out of New York and to move to a place I had never visited before. Never, you know, I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any family out here. I didn't have I didn't have any friends. I had like no ties here. And it it sort of seemed like very romantic in a way. Like I get to start over and I get to be my own person. And I had a ton of fun in New York after college, but I was just hanging out with my college buddies. You know, I wasn't really growing. And I, now that I look back on it, like coming to LA, I really had to, you know, rely on my instincts and, you know, be independent and take care of myself and not you know rely on the fact that like I could go to my parents' place and do my laundry. (laughs) And so it just, it, it felt, if anything, you know, I knew that if I moved out to LA that New York would always be there and I could go back to New York. But even more than that, I knew like I'd have a really good story. Like, you won't believe it. Like I moved to LA to be with this guy and it turned out to be a total mess. But. I got this great
0: tan and highlights. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's really important because every time I talk to anyone, there was always that moment where some big change needed to happen. And, you know, those are the questions that I feel like people are always asking themselves is like, what if, what if, what if? And it's like, that's where I always say you just have to have like some fuck it in your system because mm-hmm. it's those big decisions and those big changes that always bring obviously like the biggest growth.
1: Yeah, and it's like it's I mean, it was not easy for a lot of reasons. You know, like I didn't I had to, you know, write stories and really start my Rolodex from scratch. I didn't know anybody in the city, so I couldn't reach out to people about like, you know, like you know, getting into chateau for something, you know, for a party or an event that I was supposed to cover. Like I didn't know the door person like I knew at Boom Boom Room. You know, it's like that sort so of thing. Really. So just like starting and it was that and then it was also just I also just really liked the idea that I could start over again, but I also knew that, sorry, I lost my train of thought there, but what I wanted to actually say was part of the really hard decision for doing that, you know, sort of uprooting everything was what I talked about earlier was like, my dad was sick. Oh, he was already sick. Yeah. So he was already sick back in New York. Mm. And the beautiful thing about having a big family was I knew that my siblings would still be around to take care of him. So I didn't, I, I still, I still am processing a lot of the guilt that I have because I wasn't there physically as much as I could have been. But he also knew that this was exactly where I needed to be. Yes.
0: That's your stuff. Like your daddy doesn't think that Yeah, he's like proud of you and happy that you did that. You got to. Don't be so hard on yourself. I mean, Davide goes through that all the time too. Like he had missed his mother's funeral. And we talk about that all the time, like trying to process that, you know, like the grief and and I took on a lot being here. And that was also really hard. Like I used to sometimes be like, God damn it. Like I wish I wasn't so, didn't have that close connection because I felt like I could be more free doing something else, you know? So I think... I understand that feeling, of course. I mean, listen, it's a very odd thing growing up and starting your own life and taking these like steps away from your family. And and then something, I mean, we're getting older, like our parents, or unless, you know, obviously there's an unfortunate, horrible accident. Like these types of things become like more normal as you get older. And it's the only thing we all know is going to happen in life. Mm-hmm. And it still is just, it's it, it's impossible to fathom. Yeah. And if anything, my father
1: was just so stoked for me to be doing exactly what I wanted to be doing and being good at it. You know, mm-hmm. like that was, you know, he was so proud of that and so excited for me in that way. He never thought of it as me like missing a doctor's appointment or like no. not seeing him before a chemo round or whatever it was. So I, yeah, I do. I do have that personal thing to work out. And I'm really thankful that Chris is, you know, with me on that. And he's been super helpful in helping me sort of digest and process everything that I feel around being out here and being away from my family. Because I grew up in that definite, like definitely in that like sort of like tribe mentality. Like we all would just show up at my cousin's house without announcing ourselves, you know, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And being out here and being alone was beautiful in its own way, but it was also really scary and really heartbreaking.
0: Is it, what's it like to, I always get asked this and I, I'm new to this too, but what's it like, uh, joining a family of such like a different culture? Oh, that's, yeah.
1: I mean, that's, (laughs) because I thought I would just end up with somebody exactly like me. Yeah, me too. you know, this giant family and we'd all, you know, like a nice blue collar, New York guy. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like, guy in finance and, you know, more like, what is it like, knit, like, um, like vineyard vines or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> like that's, that's how I pictured it. Um, yeah, go to Long Beach Island in the summers. <laughs> yeah. And like, meanwhile, his family is, it, it's tied, it, they're tied, but he's also an only child. And his parents were Oh, he is. And they were working constantly. So he, I think like even more so than like us being from separate cultures, is just our family dynamic and how we sort of how we deal with our our emotions. Just so different. It's so different because he was, I mean he was alone so often. So whether he was sad or whether he was happy, he was alone. You know, he was an only child. He was hanging out in the office at his parents' restaurant and -hmm. or playing with GI Joe's. Meanwhile, if I was sad or happy or whatever, there were like 18 people around me. (laughs) And both are really great in their own ways. But in the beginning of our relationship, I would be like, really down and out about something. And I would say to him, like, I just need you here with me. Like, I need you to just like hold me in bed or I need you to just like, you know, sit on the couch with me. And then he'd be, on the flip side of that, he would be having a hard day and I'd be like, what's wrong? Like, do you want to go for a walk? Do you want to like talk about this? And he'd be like, no, just leave me alone. Yeah. I didn't get it. And he didn't get where I was coming from either. But culture wise, I mean, I also, I hit the in-law jackpot. jackpot. His, <laughs> his parents just like, I moved into their house first
0: of all. Yeah, we forgot <laughs> to talk about that. Like you completely moved. Which you're Day in this scenario, by the way. Davide did all of this. He just moved in here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's crazy because it was, you know, I was in my mid twenties and I was like, oh God, did I just shack up with like my deadbeat boyfriend's parents? <laughs> I was freaking out. I was like, what do you mean you don't have your own place? but he kept telling me, he was like, this is, you know, I mean, it's cultural in a way, but it was also him saying that, you know, we can save a ton of money this way. And I didn't believe him in the beginning, but then after, I think it was like four-ish years, I was able to pay off my student loans.
0: Yeah.
1: And of course his parents were so stoked to have me around, you know, like I cleaned a lot. And like, <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, I also was such a huge part. I mean, I'm totally patting myself on the back. Like I'm, I was a big, big part of why night market was able to rise so quickly because I'm sure. I just like, I threw every single corner of my being into the restaurant, even though I knew nothing about it. And I just like was was just totally shameless and would, you know, reach out to people about stories or I would talk to customers and, you know, just really it went from it, it, his family still talks about it that like when we met and we actually started working together in a real way, it it became night market. Like, it became- well, you can
0: see that. I mean, from if you've been going there and eating at that restaurant for a long time, it went from kind of this like old school institution to like, cool, like very, like, I re- like the cookbook. Like I was like, oh, like I don't, it just became like this cool place all of a sudden. And I understand that motivation of like, okay, if I'm going to do this, like let's just fucking go. Like, why are you guys not getting press on this? Like, why are there not these people in here all the time? Like, natural wine needs to happen.
1: (laughs) Well, that was like my thing. I would like see these Bon Appetit stories and I'd be like, why the fuck isn't that you? You know, like I get really fired up about it. And, you know, the same thing would happen at the restaurant. You know, like we, somebody would say something about how they didn't like the food. And I'd be like, let me get you something else. You know, like it was just, I was, yeah, I was all in. On, on that. And I think that's part of the reason why his parents were also so happy to have me around because they were like, okay, like our son's little project <laughs> is finally taking <laughs> off in a real way. And they would see me on the floor interacting with guests. And, you know, we had some difficult guests in the beginning, you know, requesting specific things that we didn't make, or, you know, demanding certain tables that weren't available. And I would handle it. And then it would be like the toilet would be broken and I would handle it. And it was, um,
0: yeah, it was just a lot of learning. on the I job. love working at a restaurant. If I, I could give this all up and do that. I love that. I love the energy of a restaurant. So now you guys have three.
1: Well, now we have three and it's, yeah, 10 years, three restaurants. The idea with the song, the one in Silver Lake, the second location was really sort of the the one that became what we initially wanted Night Market to be. Because with the Uh West Hollywood location being next to Talisai, his parents' restaurant, we were sort of using what we had from his parents' place. And it was never really separated. It was always these two restaurants side by side. So when we opened the second restaurant, we were able to be like, this is our vision. This is what we want Night Market to look like. And then we were eventually able to backtrack at the original location and just turn it all into Night Market. It feels like you're in Thailand. That's I mean that's the hope is like that you can trans you, you know transport yourself somewhere where you can just relax and enjoy the night and enjoy the company and enjoy good wine and food and just like not be in a scene or you know like not have too many worries just feel comfortable you yeah. know
0: it's, it feels like that it has a really amazing feeling of like you've just kind of discovered this like hole in the wall restaurant which by the way is like I mean, some of the top restaurants, you own like three of the top restaurants in Los Angeles. I mean, it's undeniable. There's lines around the corner. I called and ordered when I was ordering takeout the other night. I could, it was busy for so long. Like you guys are so busy. The wine, the cookbooks, the experience. I mean, what a fucking joy. Like, what does it feel like to be able to reap that like what was it like when like Anthony Bourdain came in tell that story oh man that was I mean it was totally crazy because you like when
1: you're the first couple of like celebrities who came in I was totally starstruck I think like the first one that I really spoke to was Jamie King <laughs> like, I was like <laughs> I, I didn't have the words I was like hi I know you like you don't have to check in with me <laughs> like, <laughs> I love you but after like a while, like people, recognizable people start to come in pretty regularly. It's Los Angeles. We were in West Hollywood, you know, like my favorite is like, or not my favorite, but like a lot of people would just be like, Oh yeah, I live up the street. And it's like, you're CeeLo. Like you live up the street. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Everyone, they live in those hills. Yeah. And so with, with Anthony Bourdain, it was, I was still at Refinery 29 at the time and I was working the door for a fashions night out event at Philip Lim when it was on Robertson. And I was so happy to be there. I was like checking in. Again, I was like checking in really cool people. I got to wear this really great Philip Lim outfit for the night. And I got a text message from one of the servers saying that Anthony Bourdain was having dinner at the restaurant. And I think this is like the moment where I was really realizing that like the restaurant was more important than my, my refinery 29 gig. Mm-hmm. I like I never pulled back on the brakes. Like I continued to do really good work, but I was definitely shifting my focus more to the restaurants. And so I went up to my editor and I was like, Hey, so Anthony Bourdain's at the restaurant. I'm leaving. <laughs> <Holy> <laughs> <laughs> be like, okay, you're fired. But she came with me because she like wanted to see him <laughs> herself. <Fuck. laughs> so like we, I mean, we had like, I think we had one other Refinery29 intern or there was somebody else who was there and we just like left them to the world. <laughs> Way more important, we gotta go.
0: That's a hard job, by the way, checking people in for those events. I used to do that when I was an intern too. Yeah, of course. And it's like so many people who don't who aren't on the list and you're trying to if you about it. Say the wrong person can't come in, but it's someone who's actually important, but you don't know because you're like a baby, then you get fired. Yeah. It's a whole thing. Yeah.
1: So we we show up at the restaurant and he's there. And he's there with um he's there with Jonathan Gold, who was restaurant editor at the LA Times. And I had met Jonathan a couple of times before, so I felt even more comfortable going up to the table. I said, Hey, I'm Sarah. I'm Chris's girlfriend. He's really bummed. He can't be here tonight, but he says, hello. And Jonathan's response was, you know, I couldn't imagine taking Tony anywhere else. while oh. I was in the night. And I was like, <gasps> okay, thanks. <laughs> you know, totally, you know, had the wind knocked out of me. That makes me so emotional. I like want to cry. <laughs> that
0: makes me so emotional. It was it was really
1: touching. What a moment. It was so so touching that he was like, okay. And this was you know before again. This was like half the restaurant was empty when they came by. This was really early on, where like Chris was still, you know, we've we make so many sausages in the kitchen now. We we have a manual sausage stuffer, but he uh, before that he was just using the old. Like Thai oh, technique, shit. You, you shove the meat in the <laughs> casing. <laughs> and, you know, like, yeah, it was. I mean, it was a long time ago that they, <laughs> <came> <laughs> and it was just really bare bones. It was really the like, the birth of night market, and they've been supporting it ever since. But Chris wasn't in the building that night because he was in New York. He was uh, he was out there cooking an event, and he was so so bummed to miss. Anthony Bourdain and I was like, no, he had a great time. Like it's fine, don't stress about it. He was just like, he was a mess for days afterwards. And then, um, yeah, I mean, Anthony Bourdain continued to be a supporter of the restaurant and come in, and he would stay at Chateau, and you know, would like check in and be like, all right, I'm heading to night market. See you guys in ten minutes. And he was like, <laughs> okay, we'll
0: have details ready <laughs> for you, Mister Bourdain. What was but, like the first big piece of press that you guys got where you were like, Oh my God, this is happening.
1: I think it was when Jonathan Gold, before he, before he went back to the LA times, he was at LA weekly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he wrote a review for the restaurant. And it was like, we, we had this review and we're like, Oh crap, I guess we have to actually keep regular hours now. You know, like we're, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like we can't put a sign up saying we're opening an hour later. And so that was that was the moment where we were like, "Oh God, this is very, very real." and yeah, I just felt you know when you see the words next to the picture of your grilled pork dish, it's like, "Whoa, okay, and he talked about the wine in the article, and he really understood where Chris was coming from with with the menu decisions he was making. So I think that was one that was really really special to us, but like since then, I think that you know the press that we've gotten from other non-food focused outlets like, you know, Vogue and, you know, these other you know websites that don't really, they don't focus on food and dining and restaurants and things like that. I think that's the most satisfying because it, we've gone to another level, you know, we're reaching a different sort of person because it's one thing to be a restaurant for foodies, but it's another thing to be a restaurant for everybody, you mm. know, and like to be a restaurant, you know, that like you feel comfortable bringing in, you know, your fashion friends to, or, you know, like my sister's an event producer out in New York and she brings her clients in and they're from, you know, hair salons or, you know, different brands and things like that. And she's like, I'm bringing them to night market because it feels right. You know, <laughs> it feels, it feels really good to bring them there. It's not just a place where you bring your like foodie friend who backpacked to Chiang Mai once <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it's more than that. So I'm, I'm really proud of how, how it's come to be that sort of place for people.
0: What do you think this transition is going to be like? I mean, you're at a, I mean, I hate to even say anything positive because this is just the, you know, the worst time. Um, but you know, like you were saying, you being pregnant and home this whole time where, I mean, how many hours a day were you working before? I can't imagine less than like 16. Yeah. So to go from working more than half of a day and having minimal sleep to nesting at home and creating this baby and now probably thinking, okay, obviously in a couple of years, by the time dining will be back Mm -hmm. to hopefully normal, you will have like a little baby running around a restaurant. Like... I can't imagine like the beautiful, like full full circle of that moment, but have you guys discussed, I mean, you're both just obviously complete workaholics. So how have you, uh, I always ask women this who are pregnant or have kids, like, you know, what's that adjustment been like for you mentally? Because I feel like we're so conditioned to be like, feel so much value by how much we work.
1: Yeah. I mean, for sure. And, you know, that's one of my least favorite things about work culture right now is just like how much women brag about how busy they are. Busy bragging. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I just, I find it to be a waste of energy. I'd much rather hear from the friends who are like, yeah, you know, I had a crazy week, but over the weekend I was able to completely let go because, you know, I went to Joshua tree or, you know, I took a, five-minute nap or a five-hour nap in my backyard or whatever Mm -hmm. it is you know like that's more interesting to me like how how you are able to refuel for those really grueling weeks because yeah i mean the restaurant industry isn't there's no sort of easier nights or easier days like each day is gonna have its look a tuesday night isn't as busy as a saturday night but you know the toilet's still gonna break on a tuesday night or you know the needs to be emptied or somebody calls out sick you know there's always some sort of solution that you have to come up with no matter what day of the week it is and I think for us in order to approach that from a place where we're you know we're focused and we're able to make good decisions we definitely also place a huge value on rest and like taking care of ourselves and taking care of each other and and in some ways that's like going out to eat you know like drinking a good bottle of wine mm-hmm. uh, and we want the kid to see that too like we want the kid to know that it's like it's not just about waking up every day and going straight to work and coming home and the reason you are drinking wine is because you had a terrible day it's like no we're drinking this wine because we enjoy it we enjoy it and like it's it's fun to share that you know this bottle of wine with your you know your friends or your husband and have that connection but one thing that we do is we do take it pretty slow in the morning. And I think that's something that the kid will hopefully see too, is that, you know, like mom and dad value their, their morning time, whether that's like meditating or going on walks with the dog or, you know, reading in bed and it's a big breakfast and a cup of coffee. Like that's so valuable to us right now. We don't even have a kid yet. And I know that, once we have this little person running around who's another full-time job, essentially, Mm -hmm. it's going to be even more important that we take those mornings to rest, you know, and take care of ourselves and take care of our bodies and things like
0: that. Cause what time do you go into the restaurant?
1: It depends on what the day calls for, but I'll usually be there in the afternoon for meetings with managers or tasting wine with wine reps or, you know, just like being around before the service starts, and then my schedule is just—it's like basically like whatever whatever restaurant baby is crying the loudest that day. <laughs> so I'll go hang out with. Like, okay, our our host called out sick. You know, like Sarah, can you, you know, can you manage the host stand for a few hours, or can you walk the staff through the new by the glass wines, or? Mm-hmm. You know, we have a VIP scheduled with a reservation. I'll be on the floor and say hi to them, that sort of thing. And then with Chris, it's it's a similar schedule where he'll, he'll sort of go where he needs to go based on the kitchen. So if somebody needs to be trained or if somebody called out sick, he'll go there to support.
0: Is he still cooking? Like, does he cook every night in the restaurants? Not every night, but he's,
1: he's there a lot of nights. Recently, one of his sous chefs... Also had a baby, <laughs> so mm-hmm. she's on she's on maternity now. So he's been helping out in that kitchen um, while she's gone. But yeah, he still cooks a lot. He's been working on new recipes. Uh, um,
0: yeah, he's he's. I crave that crispy rice out. Like my mouth is watering.
1: It's. I mean, it's oh. such a dish. and it's such an easy one for me to talk to guests about too, because it's it's essentially like we can modify that upside down and backwards for people. to, like mm. okay, you know. We can do this. Oh, you're vegan. We can do this, or you know, whatever it is. But you still get the crispy rice, and you still get the flavor. And yeah, it's it's a really special dish that I'm really proud of him for developing because the dish itself in Thailand is nothing like that. You know, it's it's a totally different thing. And he was like, okay, I want to deliver this experience and this flavor profile to people in LA, but they're not gonna dig. uh, (laughs) What is it? Like it's essentially just like chunks of cured pork with like burnt rice and he's like people aren't gonna want that you know like (laughs) (laughs) it's not appetizing or like you know it's not you know what people are going to be drawn to and it's like okay it's LA people want you know a sort of version of a salad and Mm, uh how I'm able to deliver the texture and the the vibe of the dish without it being this like really
0: foreign delivery it's crazy. My mouth is watering because the, because, I, because it's so, um, the the flavors of the restaurant are so, and I've, and I've been to Thailand and I've eaten at nice restaurants in Thailand and I've eaten at shitty restaurants in Thailand, but there is a definite difference in your fucking food. It is so, sharp. the taste is so sharp and so dynamic and so spicy, but not overwhelming with the spice and there's the sour is there and it's not too sour and there's like this little punch of sweetness when you need it. It's, even like, so that crispy chicken sandwich. I mean, when we, when I ordered that that night, I, Davide picked it up on his way home from work. I set the table, I set it all out. And I literally was just able to like open the bottle of wine and pour the wine and glasses for us. And he had annihilated that sandwich. It was gone. And I was just <laughs> able to grab like a bite. And I was like, this is why. He's like, I've never tasted anything like this before. Cause he grew up only eating pasta. I, the first night I brought him to the night market, he was like, I don't want any of this." he was looking at the menu and he was like, I don't want this. Like, I just want normal food. And I was like, well, to most people, normal food isn't (laughs) fucking pasta. Like I'm not eating pasta every day. And his first bites, you just saw him go like, I didn't know food could taste like that at all. It's a really, I mean, look for me growing up
1: in suburban New Jersey, like we had one, we had one restaurant in town that was like, they would do pad thai and then they would also do like shrimp tempura rolls <laughs> <laughs> and, like, to my exposure to Thai food before I met Chris. And then I show up and he's like, he's feeding me like one of the dishes that we had on the menu early on was like fried pig- is fried pigtails. Yeah. And, so good. Yeah, fantastic. But I like, I remember being like, wait, what you expect me to eat that? And I was trying to be the cool girlfriend at the time. And I was like, of course I eat that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was not, it was not part of my food vocabulary when I first met him. I was like, this is not, this is not food that I eat. This is not food that I understand. These are flavors that I just never go near. And now it's like, I crave, you know, I crave certain dishes like the mall pasta or, you know, like the, we do a pad came with pastrami and it's like.
0: The pastrami is so (laughs) random and so good. And it's even better the second day rewarmed up. Yeah. Ugh it's, it's a fun dish.
1: And it's like, that's, you know, that's a way that we're, we're approaching the menu and that we can sort of draw people in. And it's like the, the pastrami is, a, is something that's familiar to people. And so it's like, okay, you, you've had, you might've had drunken noodles. You might not have, but you probably have probably had Langer's pastrami if you live in LA. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is sort of your one foot in one foot out way of getting used to the flavors and night market and things like that. And it's, you know, my hope, is, it, it's my same hope with with the wines on the list too. Is that like we can sort of get people excited about something new without being completely overwhelmed or turned off by the fact that it's not familiar. Yeah, you know, that's and it's tricky because people are really scared of the unfamiliar, mm-hmm. and it's it's pretty much I mean it's like all the same. I mean a ton of the Thai ingredients we use is used in Mexican cooking, you know, like cilantro, Mm -hmm. lime juice, you know, like that sort of thing. And it's like, when we tell people that it's like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Like that. Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of the stuff I put on my tacos are also in your lab guy. And I'm like, exactly.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you so much for taking this time to tell everyone this like beautiful, heartwarming, sweet story of the two of you. And there's your grit is so admirable! What you guys have created is so beautiful, and you're such a beautiful compliment. You're like the cilantro to the lime, and it's like the you like such a great compliment to Chris. Where can people find you guys?
1: Well, we have an Instagram. Chris Chris runs it, so you'll occasionally see photos of our dogs and things like that. <laughs> it's uh it's Night Market, but it's spelled N T M R K T. That's our Instagram. And there's no, a cookbook. There's a cookbook. There's also a cookbook. If you if you order it from our website, Chris will sign it for you. Cute. Uh, but yeah. Uh, and then there's West Lake.
0: Hollywood, Silver Lake, and Venice. In Venice. Those are our three locations. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah. I'm so sad this is over. Pia. Yeah. <laughs> well, we can so. hang out. <laughs> <laughs> can Thank, Thank you. Me. Bye.